Mornings. To get up and get going, South Coast, it's time for the Tim Weisberg Show on WBSM. Also streaming live on WBSM.com and on the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message or a voicemail through the WBSM app. And now, ready to start your day off with a bang, it's Tim Weisberg. Good morning. Happy Wednesday to you. Welcome into the program. Hope that uh, your day is starting off well. It's not too bad out there. Unless you're heading to Providence and then you've got to take some traffic diversions. So we've learned some things from people. Uh, Some people have said that going toward Newport and taking the Jamestown Bridge was a decent way to get to where they were trying to go. Uh, Others said that they went the suggested 24 to 495 route and that that wasn't too bad. Others said that they were taking 44 and that got them to where they needed to go. Now, here's the thing. And I don't know how much you can blame the Rhode Island Department of Transportation for this, but the information about this came late on Monday. So people might not have been paying attention and might have discovered the bridge closure as they were headed over the, trying to get over the bridge on Tuesday morning. With another 24 hours of information and news and alerts and all of that, there's going to be less people that show up to try to get over the bridge that are then going to have to turn around, which means that the way that you went yesterday, you might have some more traffic. So just keep that in mind. They're doing what they can to try to make it so that over the next couple of weeks, they can at least get a couple of lanes open on the east side. They're going to try to make it so that traffic going in both directions can go over the bridge. It's still going to bottleneck there for a couple of months. But they're trying to get to that point. They do have an emergency lane open on the westbound side. As they announced yesterday, There is one lane on the westbound side of the Washington Street Bridge that will allow for emergency vehicles to be able to pass over. So when they're trying to rush somebody to one of the hospitals, they'll be able to get them there. Conversely, or I guess parallel with that, uh, Charlton Hospital and St. Luke's Hospital have both agreed under South Coast Health to take some of the patients that would have been brought to those Rhode Island hospitals from this area. So that should help out a bit. Of course, when they have the really traumatic cases, they usually transport those folks to Rhode Island Hospital. But St. Luke's, over the last couple of years, has become a trauma center unto itself. I don't know all the specifics as to why they go to one and not the other. I don't know, like, does one must have certain facilities that the other doesn't have? Because you still see people, at least in the the news stories we get when there's shootings or car crashes or what have you, there are still people who are transported to Rhode Island Hospital as opposed to St. Luke's Hospital, even though St. Luke's would be closer 
I don't know the criteria for that. But at least they're going to be able to pick up some of those cases so that they don't have to worry about trying to travel over that bridge and being slowed down. The other interesting thing that I saw as a result of this is that East Providence schools were let go. They were early dismissed yesterday in order to get the buses out there. Because it's not so much that they have to go over the bridge, but it's all the traffic of people trying to get around the bridge. And what they did is they dismissed the kids early to try to get ahead of that. And the kids still sat on the bus for prolonged periods of time stuck in traffic. So what this East Providence schools have decided to do is they've gone back to remote learning, at least for today. And then they're going to see where it goes. But imagine that surprise to parents. Oh, by the way, your kids are staying home tomorrow, remote learning day. I guess in today's day and age, if you have kids that have been in school for at least the last three years, you, the reality of the situation is you know that that's always a possibility. But I don't think people were planning on that happening over this. So if you, uh, if you are listening from that area and if you have kids that, are, that go to East Providence schools, not today. Remote learning. And they're going to make a decision about how long they have to do that for. Even getting those couple of lanes open that they have planned for the eastbound side might not be enough to, to fix the problems of what's slowing down those buses. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of weeks. Needless to say, this has become a debacle. People are not happy. Rhode Island lawmakers are not happy. The governor is not happy. But the Rhode Island Department of Transportation is, is doing the right thing here, at least in terms of what they are, how they're trying to handle the situation and saying, hey, listen, this is not safe and we've got to do something about this right away. But the question comes up as, you've been doing a lot of renovations to this bridge. Why are you only discovering this now? This bridge has been in a perpetual state of renovation. Why are you only just finding out now that there are failing components? And I forget which Rhode Island station it was. It was either, I think it was Channel 12, WPRI.com. They had the actual photos of what the issue was. But this is a monumental pain for people in Rhode Island. And it's it's funny because I have a friend that lives in North Providence. And they've been doing a lot of traffic work up in that area. A lot of stuff on 95. A lot that that's it's been perpetually under construction over there for a long, long time. And he just posted up on, on Facebook. He's like, nice to see our traffic problems migrated east. And then, of course, there's all the great memes. The memes have been hilarious. My favorite is, you know, Godzilla approaching the bridge. 
or I forget the name of the bridge that's permanently stuck open, but, you know, people are like, be right back, got to go unstuck a bridge. So there's been certainly, uh, is it the Four River Bridge or am I thinking of something else? I don't know. Barry wrote a great article about it. I just can't recall. So the, um, the memes have been very funny. And if you see a good one, you know, share it with us. Send it to me, Tim at WBSM.com. Send it to us on Facebook. We'll, we'll save them all up. I think Maddie over at Fun 107 was collecting some of the best comments that people were making about it. Maybe we can collect some of the best memes too. But yeah, that's, that's to the extent that it's gotten to where now there's an entire school system, these Providence schools that are going remote learning because the kids were sitting too long in the bus in traffic. Speaking of kids and speaking of school children, we got a press release yesterday afternoon regarding New Bedford High School. And the winter break is coming up a week from tomorrow is the last day of school before the winter break. It is a half day from what I could gather from the school calendar. So a week from today is the last full day of school before the winter break. So December 20th. That will be the last time New Bedford High School students are dismissed at 2.40 p.m. Because after they return from winter break, the school will be dismissing students at 2.12 p.m. So you've got 18 minutes earlier, right? Is my math right? Yes. 18, no. 28 minutes earlier. So just about a half an hour earlier. Students will be dismissed beginning on January 2nd when they return from winter break. And that will remain the case throughout the remainder of the school year. New Bedford High School staff will keep his current dismissal time. And according to Interim Superintendent Andrew O'Leary, the extra time between student dismissal and staff dismissal will be used, quote, for student academic support, staff planning, and professional collaboration. And the change to the schedule came after the negotiations between the school department and the New Bedford Educators Association. So the teachers union and the school department negotiated for this, this time. Now, a source within the school system told me that one of the main drivers for this was loss of teacher contractual prep time. So between vacancies and legitimate absences, teachers were losing prep time to go, to go cover classes where there was no teacher or the teacher was absent. Some teachers were reporting losing their prep time four out of five days of the week, week after week. An earlier student dismissal provides teachers with guaranteed time during the contractual day to prepare lessons, correct student work, contact families, and share data with colleagues. So they were losing that time that they had to prep. 
because of things like not having enough teachers, teachers legitimately being absent. So then, therefore, their prep time had to be done at home on their own time. And that's not, that's not a viable model. That's not what is supposed to be happening here. In their contract negotiations, it provides for day, time during the school day to be able to prep or time during, you know, their regular working hours to be able to do all of that stuff that I just mentioned, correcting papers, contacting families, preparing lessons. And instead, they were having to bring all that work home with them. And I, I listen, there's a lot of people out there that are going to say, well, you know, I have to bring work home every day. I have to go home and I have to do stuff for work. O okay, but was that contractually negotiated for you not to have to do that? And also... Teachers start their day very early. Now, some of you that are out there listening that are already up and out to work, you know, you and I, we know what that's like. We know what it's like to have to get up at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, get to work at 6. And yeah, it's nice. You can get out at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And then when you get out of work, are you hoping to have to do more? I can tell you that I have ruined my life <laughs> because I go home and just keep working or I stay here and I just keep working. I don't cut myself off after eight or nine hours and say, I'll get to the rest of it tomorrow. And it's, it's really no way to live. And now I'm trying to actually call that back a little bit and try to say after a certain point, nope, I'm done. Unless it's something major, that will wait for tomorrow. And it's difficult to, to have that balance. And I'm sure it's difficult for the teachers to say, well, gee, I really want to get those papers corrected so that the kids can get their grades because I know they're waiting for them. But I just can't go home and spend three hours doing extra schoolwork or else I'll lose my mind. So this is a legitimate need. This person told me, this, this person within the school told me, overall, this is a good thing for teacher morale, turnover, and work-life balance. But here's the thing. We've been seeing a lot of comments on the story on social media about what about mandatory learning time? What about how much time they're supposed to spend in the classroom? How are they going to account for this loss of a half an hour every day? And it was explained to me by the source, the students aren't seeing that much missed time per class. They've just shaved a few minutes from each of the seven periods and reduced the passing period back to four minutes. It doesn't change, this person says, there are already folks questioning how this affects the academic calendar and school performance. It doesn't change anything and shouldn't affect student performance data as they're really only getting three-ish or fewer minutes per class than they were before. So a little less messing around at the beginning of class solves that problem. 
coming in, sitting down. The bell rings. I don't know if they still use the bell. Class starts. They just jump right into, into the lesson, and they've got everything covered. And you know that's not how it's really going to go. But less than three minutes per class is, is the difference here. Everybody will be fine. The important thing is the teachers will get this time and students will have that extra time if they need it without having to stay even later than they were before. So if 2.40, they needed extra time, you know, how late are they staying till and how late are the teachers staying till to help them? Now they have that built-in buffer between when the students leave and when the teachers leave to be able to get that taken care of. It was, I mean, that was a valuable time for me when I was in school. To know that if I ever didn't get something, I could go and get that extra help. And when I was in, I forget what year I first took AP English with Mr. McCurtain. But we had to write essays. Essays in which we analyzed poetry. And I had trouble with that format. And so Mr. McCurtain said, why don't you come after school someday? We'll sit down, we'll go over it. Now, I was already, for the most part, most of the week anyway, staying late after school anyway for different clubs and activities and getting a ride home with Mr. McCurtain. His son was my best friend and they were my next door neighbors. But I went and I got that help, that one-on-one help. And after just two sessions of that, I knew how to write an essay and I was fine the rest of the year. But that having that available time made all the difference. So think about how much that will help the kids that maybe have to get to work after school. Now they've got an extra half an hour to get a little help before what their normal scheduled time would be. So I think it's a good thing. I've seen a lot of people against it. I don't think they quite understand it. So we'll try and do what we can to Spread the word about that. 508-996-0500. Right now, though, I'm going to take a break. We'll be back in a few moments. Nothing so loud Hearing when we lie Truth is not kind And you said neither am I and welcome back and we are going to take your phone calls on the new bedford high school dismissal time change and other topics at 508-996-0500 you can also send app chat messages little text messages into the studio via the WBSM app. You can also send an open line voicemails. You can record a voicemail and send it to us via the WBSM app if that's something you want to do. And I know once we get that started, once somebody starts doing that on a regular basis, others will follow, but we'll get to that point, I'm sure. Uh, But those options are there for you on the WBSM app. It is free to download and is brought to you by our friends at South Coast Towing. So if you don't have it already, hit up your app store and download the WBSM app or go to WBSM.com and you can get it right there as well. Right now, though, it is time to go into the newsroom and get all the headlines of the day with Ariel Dorsey. 
The United Nations General Assembly is demanding an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. On Tuesday, the General Assembly got a two-thirds majority and passed the resolution demanding a ceasefire. Two amendments to the ceasefire proposed by the U.S. and Austria both failed. The Department of Education is launching a probe into six colleges over alleged ethnic discrimination on campus. On Tuesday, the Dow Dow announced Stanford, UCLA, Rutgers University, University of California, San Diego, University of Washington, and Whitman College are all under investigation for alleged violation of Title VI of the Civil Rights Act. Title VI prohibits discrimination based on race or national origin. President Biden is calling it an outrageous that a Texas woman had to leave the state to have an emergency abortion. Kate Cox from Dallas became pregnant with a fetus with a rare genetic defect, which made it likely it would be it would die before birth or only live a few days. Beyond that, doctors told the mother of two that carrying the fetus to term could hurt her ability to have more children in the future. The president of Mexico is sending his condolences to the family of El Chapo after the drug lord's mother passed away. Local reports say 95-year-old Consuelo Perez died Sunday morning at a hospital in Sinaloa. Perez was the mother of convicted kingpin Joaquin El Chapo Guzman. Federal Reserve rate cuts could come as soon as June. That's according to the latest CNBC Fed survey. More than half of the 35 experts asked built-in a rate cut by June 2024, with that number rising to nearly 70% by July. Larry Doby will be honored with a Congressional Gold Medal during a ceremony at the U.S. Capitol later on today. Doby was the first black baseball player to compete in the, in the American League in 1947, and he went on to be the second black baseball player in the MLB following Jackie Robinson. In more sports, the Celtics have won back-to-back games after cleaning up the Cavaliers 120-113 to in Boston. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown tied for a team high in scoring with 25 points. Tatum tallied a double-double after recording 10 rebounds, while Kristaps Przingis joined him with 21 points and 10 boards. Boston will host the Cavs in a rematch tomorrow night. The Patriots have lost a dynamic player off their practice squad. The Ravens signed Malik Cunningham yesterday. The former Louisville quarterback joins fellow Cardinal Lamar Jackson and could be used as a receiver. Cunningham appeared in one game for the New England this season and took a five-yard sack. The Pats are last in the AFC and will put their 3-10 record on the line against the Chiefs on Sunday afternoon. And the Bruins hit the ice again tonight and will face off against the Devils in Newark. Boston will be without Paval Zaka and Charlie McAvoy due to upper body injuries. Morgan Gecki is expected to jump into the top six forward group. The team also recalled forward Jesper Bokvist from Providence yesterday. Now let's take a look at your local forecast with ABC6. Chilly Wednesday morning, temperatures around the mid-30s for this afternoon as a cold front pushes through. It will allow a brief shot of blustery cold weather through this Thursday for this afternoon. Temperature in the low 40s overnight, mid-20s dry. And as we head into tomorrow, it'll feel like in the teens in the morning, leading to plenty of sunshine, breezy conditions, temperatures maxing out in the mid-30s. Be sure to watch ABC6 for my full summary forecast from the ABC6 Weather Center. I'm meteorologist Ceci del Carmen on New Bedford's News Talk Station 1420 WBSM. I'm Ariel Dorsey for WBSM News. Stay up to date with New Bedford's News Talk Station WBSM and get breaking news alerts with the WBSM app.
welcome back in 508-996-0500 let's go to the phones good morning you're on wbsm morning tim how you doing good how are you good i gotta pick your brain maybe uh you got a little bit of a historical bent on you um in regards to property taxes okay so before property taxes was even a thing how did municipalities get funded this is a legit question that I don't know the answer to. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I I know that property tax has been something that's been around for a long time. Right. So, the reason why I, I pose that question is two two things. Number one, Dartmouth is uh, starting a little bit of a chatter at the select board level, as they were. I think they met on Monday to propose potentially or look into a proposition two and a half override. And it seems to be the norm now going around. You know, you got Fairhaven, Westport. Now, Dartmouth is in the same boat. With it, there is a $2.3 million budget shortfall over the span of two years. And the, the override would cover that gap for two years. It comes down to about $149 per household increase per year or like, you know, 12 bucks a month. But <clears throat> my question is, um, you know, what was the whole tax structure before property tax? Because we need to figure something out because I, I find it very regressive property tax because as your, your assessments go up, especially for your elderly folk, their, their incomes don't go up, but your taxes continue to increase and because your assessment is increased. So they bought a, they bought a house in 1980 for $40,000. It's worth a half a million dollars now. They can't afford to live in the town that they raised their kids in. So there needs to be a better way. Now we're just trying to figure that out. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem fair for elderly people. I mean, we could always do... The exceptions, you know, if you're 70 years old, your taxes don't go up anymore. There's got to be a different way. I mean, I would guess that what we had before property taxes was, you know, serfdom. That we, once we were able to own land individually on our own, whether, you know, I'm, I'm talking even pre-America. Uh, I'm talking about back in the European days. That we probably, from the moment we could have land unto ourselves, somebody was taxing us for that land. Yeah. It's just... I don't know, and uh, we'll I just see, we'll I, I, see what happens with the with the override. I mean, it's it's for the school department. It's always for the school department because that's obviously the biggest chunk of your budget every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I don't know. This I don't. Know. Th- I, I just it, did doesn't, a quick... it doesn't surprise me because when we look at when we look at the the current situation of with inflation, Proposition two and a half was made to have an override for this specific situation where your inflation exceeded, you know, your your two and a half percent. Because the two and a half percent was not wasn't an arbitrary number they came up with out of thin air. That was your average inflationary rate year to, year over year through the eighties through the nineties. That's why they created that two and a half. It's two and a half percent was your cost of living and your rate of inflation. Um, year over year. That's why they created that 2.5%. So when you have inflationary situations like we have currently, that's why you had that override, to cover the cost of inflation. But unfortunately, 
a lot of times it's abused by municipalities to fund pet projects. Right. I've and seen it come up for, have, I've seen it come up for things like police stations and, and, uh, right. you, you know, so other, the, or, or budget short, shortfalls and. Right. The budget short, now the budget shortfall in Dartmouth right now is probably because of, of inflation, right? It's everything costs more. Everything's costing 5% more yet taxes can only go up two and a half percent. So the other thing that, municipalities can do and in Dartmouth they did it it was it's called a debt exclusion which is not a proposition two and a half it's basically we're going to take out a loan build the police station on Tucker Road and once that loan is paid off that debt is eliminated from your tax bill that's your best bet you know if you're looking to do a, a pet project you know a police station or a new fire station or whatever you know a new town hall debt exclusion because then your taxes come back down to the level that they were before. They're not, because a proposition two and a half, it raises it, say, 3% versus two and a half, and then it's compounded after that. It never comes back down. They don't have a, a decrease the, the year after, mm-hmm. you know, to, to make up that difference of that extra half of 1%. So we'll, we'll see. I saw the, the, the report last night, and I, I listened to the, the select board meeting, and... Uh, I'm not surprised. You, you see, again, you see it across Massachusetts right now, and even Massachusetts has a shortfall. So, as, as we're uh, looking at the the next budget, we're going to have to, I don't know, start discussing overrides again. And it looks like uh, it'll probably be a tough one because Dominic has a history of of approving um, overrides, I believe. So, well, interesting. Yeah, it'll definitely be something to keep an eye on. Thank you so much for the call and for the information. You got it, Tim. Take it you easy. And just to to give you a a historical answer for that question, uh, we've had property taxes here in America since colonial times, but in 17, by 1796, state and local governments in 14 of the 15 states taxed land, but only four taxed inventory. Delaware did not tax property, but rather the income from it. So we've had it as long as we've been a colonies, colonies here, which makes sense because, you know, that's. It's the easiest thing to collect on. But when you think about it, when you think about it, when you break it all down, it's not really a tax on your property. It's a contribution to the services you receive from the services that service that property. The town isn't a real thing except for giving and providing governance and services. That's why the towns are incorporated, to be able to provide that for their citizens. So that's what you're, you're really paying for with that. And if that's the case, then yeah, when those services need to cost more, you've got to pay more. Whether, regardless of what the property that is the basis of that costs or is valued at rather. And I think that's why a lot of people jump to those prop two and a half overrides and you hear it very quick. The minute there's any kind of budget shortfall, the minute there's any kind of thing that needs to get paid for, you've already got that chorus of voices saying we should, we should go that route. I saw it happen in, in Wareham for a number of 
proposed projects. They're still trying to get a new police station built over there. And I don't know if any of you have ever been to the Wareham Police Station. But if you've ever gone through the front door, there's days you can't walk up those steps. The facilities are are horrible over there, but they haven't been able to get the budget together to be able to build a new one. Built a beautiful brand new elementary school. Now have, now has one empty elementary school on one side of town. They tore down the other one to build the one that they have now. But they have an elementary school building just sitting there empty. And I'm just wondering why aren't they utilizing that as a police station? But whatever. <laughs> They've got a plan in place of what they want to see built. And they're going to keep pushing for that plan until they get the Proposition 2.5 override to be able to do it. Anyway, 508-996-0500. I'm going to take a break so I don't fall behind. We'll be back in a few moments. Them. Sometimes I look at these 90s videos and I say, oh, I wish I still had the clothes that I had back then. Um, but now you you try to get them on eBay use and they don't look nearly as good as they did back then. They've been in somebody's closet for 20 years. But that is, uh, that's Dishwalla. I don't, I don't know anything about the name and how that came about, but uh, it's a... It's one of the classic hits of the 90s. 508-996-0500. That is the number to call in and chime in. And speaking of clothes, that's uh, just something that we're hoping to be able to purchase for our mini Miracle family this year, heading into the holidays, along with some toys for the kids, help them pay some bills and some other things. WBSM is once again teaming with the United Way of Greater New Bedford to create a mini Miracle for a deserving South Coast family. The Lima family of New Bedford needs your help. Mom Celsia cares for her two, her two children, 17-year-old Siliani and 5-year-old Derek. Both of her children are afflicted with rare disorders. And as you heard, uh, we have the family shared their story with us and we talked about it during our Mini Miracle broadcast. Siliani has a vision disorder in which everything is blurry to her, even with glasses, but there were these special lenses that would allow her to see more clearly and then she can help her mother take care of her five-year-old brother, Derek, who has a very rare disease. He's autistic. He's nonverbal. He can't really move for himself. Uh, he can't express what he wants. And poor Celsia is just, just 
frazzled. And, and there's nothing Siliani can do. She has to be helped around too because she can't see well enough. And these special lenses will help her be able to see and be independent and help her mother. And, of course, thanks to our friends at First Citizens Federal Credit Union, Siliani is now getting those lenses. In fact, I can give you an update. She had her appointment to be fitted for them last week. And now they're in the process of manufacturing them for her. She should have them probably maybe even before Christmas. But we are still trying to help the family have a great holiday. And you can do that by going to the Mini Miracle page at WBSM.com and learning how you can donate to the Lima family and help them have a very Merry Christmas this year. Thanks to our sponsors who made this possible, including Fall River Municipal Credit Union, Cottage Street Motors, Bright Dents, Portis de Sedad, New England Sewer and Drain, and Freestones City Grill. So uh, that is a, a wonderful story, but there's still more we can do to help. Certainly, we can provide them with more assistance and uh, make it so that Celsia can just get a bit of a break. I mean, I'm telling you, she tried to be strong during our interview with her and just ended up breaking down because it's just too much for her. So just everything that we can do to help will make all the difference for this wonderful, hardworking family. All right, I've got to take one more break. We'll be back in a few moments. All right, that is going to do it for this hour. When we come back in the next hour, more with you at 508-996-0500. We can also take your app chat messages and your open line.